What's up, y'all? We're back. Indisputable filling in for Dr. Richie is myself, Mundell Robinson, and also Yasmin Aliyah Khan, host of the Modern Context podcast and also Rebel HQ contributor. How are you today? I'm doing very well. Thanks for having me. Indeed. Thank you so much for joining us as we dive into a lot of news. And since we have so much to cover, let's get started. We have a video showing a neighbor who executed a father and his son, his stepson in a Brooklyn apartment hallway during an argument over noise. This video, of course, was taken by surveillance in the hallway. And as you can see, it is extremely graphic. So let me let me start by saying that um, this is a sad situation blown out of context. First, we see uh, the shooter who was Jason Pass, a Brooklyn man. Fatally shot his upstairs neighbor, 47-year-old Vladimir uh, Mathroon, and his 27-year-old stepson. The double murder started on Sunday night when Paz confronts his neighbor, Mary Delili, uh, reportedly over loud noise. Delili's husband and two children also join her in the hallway during the confrontation. Mathroon rushes outside of the apartment, brandishing a pair of scissors that he directed towards Paz's face. Mathroon's wife tries to pull Mathroon's back from past, but Mathroom pulls away from his wife. This is a sad situation to continue the confrontation. Past then pulls a gun from his waistband and points it at Mathroom. Mathroom begins to walk back towards his apartment. Daughter runs back inside the apartment with, along with his wife as he is shot. His stepson, uh, Chinua Modi, tries to flee towards the stairs, but passes the gun uh, when, he, when, he went, when he goes past, past, past guns him down. Also, taking multiple shots at his body, then past will walk back to Mathroon, who he had already shot, and see him moving, trying to get away, stands over him, and coldly shoots him, blank, point blank range. Uh, Yasmin, this is, this is destructive beyond uh, belief. We talked about this yesterday. We talk about this all the time, this idea that America has so many, uh, so much access to guns in places like New York that has some of the strictest laws. We still see how destructive a, a simple confrontation between neighbors can become. What are you? Th what are your takes on guns? One, and then also neighbors killing each other over noise. Yeah, so I live in Texas, so guns are everywhere. We have a lot of guns and they want more guns. So this is something that is very, very common around here. Um, Republicans, Democrats around Texas, we all have guns in our homes. It's very much like part of the culture here. And so I think we have a kind of a unique take on the whole issue than some people in maybe LA, New York, and then in the more rural areas might. So there's part of it that, you know, the argument that always comes up is, well, you know, people are still going to get guns, whether or not you outlaw them, whether or not you make them more difficult to get, people will still have them. And those people will probably be the bad guys who you don't want to have them. But I think the bigger issue here, or the bigger conversation maybe, is the culture surrounding guns that we have in this country, right? It becomes an arms race, right? If somebody has a gun, then I also need one to protect myself from that person. And then other people say, there's more guns, I need to protect myself, right? So even if you're not really a gun advocate, sometimes you still feel like I need to keep up because everybody else out here is playing on a different playing field from the one that I'm on. So the whole culture that we've created in this country around guns has become so incredibly toxic 
that simple things like a dispute between neighbors over something like noise, which really like shouldn't escalate much further than that, has become a deadly situation, right? There's a person who has lost a husband, who's lost sons, you know, like there's people who are dead over noise, right? That never should have happened. It never should have escalated to that point. And unfortunately, it's become so commonplace in this country for things like that to happen, that it almost is like, what else is there left to say? In Texas, if you honk your horn at somebody, there's a really, I don't want to oversell it, but there's like a significant chance that that person, if they are road raging, if they're, you know, in having a bad day or something like that, they could pull a gun on you, right? So in Texas here, we think twice about things like that. And I think overall, what it's doing is it's eroding whatever bonds we have with the people around us, right? We're afraid of the people around us. We're afraid of our neighbors. We're afraid of the people that we go see at the grocery store, things like that. Our communities are fraying at the edges and all those all those different components really don't, you know, they don't look good for the future of this country as a United States of America, as a United people. We are very, very much becoming disconnected and the threat of violence between us is not helping. I mean, I, and just to be honest, I think, you know, that I, I hear this argument about, you know, we need we need guns to protect ourselves because bad people have guns. I think that's just a I think that's a flawed argument. Australia back in the 90s had a, a situation where there was a mass shooting. They passed legislation immediately. And we've not seen gun crimes in Australia at the rate before that since then. Exactly. And I think America needs to be strong enough to say that we are out of line. We are out of control. We are out of step with modern times with the, mem- the amount of access that America have to guns. And people, like I said yesterday, people try to bring this and blame this on mental health issues, but we don't have a monopoly on mental health issues. And we should acknowledge that we have a gun problem in this. And it's, and, and it's the culture is it's so interwoven that we believe that people's Second Amendment right, which does not say that people have the right to own military style um and it also says it should be a well-armed militia in the Second Amendment. Nothing is well-armed about a neighbor pulling out a gun over noise, over radio, over kids crying. We see it all the time. Nothing is well-armed or, 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 or I should say, well-regulated um, about any of that. None, none of our guns are regulated when you can go to a gun show and just purchase gun. This story has another co- a component to it. Paz was fatally shot by police after three-day manhunt. Early Wednesday, police pulled over a car. Paz was driving on Bay 44. Street. He got out of the vehicle with a knife and began to run away, police said. After a pursuit and a confrontation with past police said he charged an officer with the knife that he was carrying and that it was uh, then and then it was open fire. Pass was shot four times, three times in the chest and one time in his right leg, according to police. Pass was still alive after the shooting and was rushed to New York uh, University's Lagoon Hospital in Brooklyn, where he later died. And that's, of course, according to NBC and its affiliate, um, uh, Jason, Julio Acevedo. This is what this is what I mean. Like even even the idea that I spent three years of my my life in Japan when I was in the Marine Corps. And what I noticed was the police officers in Japan don't drive around with guns. They ride three or four people in the car deep. And if you get out of line, they have a nightstick and they're not afraid to use them. And they don't give you many uh, warnings. I think our access to guns has perverted our complete understanding of what interactions, even with authorities, should be. Now this person who shot his neighbor over loud noise has himself been shot three times in the chest. This is just a, it's a brutal cycle in America that exists uniquely American. And it's absolutely disgusting on uh, Yasmin. 
Yeah, absolutely. None of this needed to happen. None of it needed to escalate this way. And you're absolutely right to have brought up you know, the legislation that we had in place in this country in the 90s, right? We saw that there was more restrictions on guns and gun ownership and gun access. And we saw that gun deaths in this country were not at the levels that they're at now. And whenever we started getting rid of those things, and we saw them very predictably rise, right? And they're continuing to go up. It's continuing to be a problem. It doesn't go away. And it's not going to because Nothing has happened to help it go away. And whenever we talk about gun violence and gun deaths and gun access and things like that, we're having all these conversations around the issue. But at the end of the day, the government is going to do what it's going to do, right? We can argue about it all day. They're going to do what they're going to do, and they're going to continue to empower the police officers. They're going to continue to not regulate these things. It's literally unregulated. You brought up the Second Amendment, just no regulation at all, right? They just threw all of it out the window, and they're still somehow conflating that with the Second Amendment. It makes no sense. So hopefully, if we keep talking about it, if we keep, you know, protesting, doing things, we'll get our voices heard. I think, you know, we have an election coming up next year. We really need to get more anti-gun candidates in office. I think that's one of the only ways that we're actually going to see some difference. Yeah, I definitely believe that, you know, a protest vote uh, against guns, against incumbents who support guns is the best way to uh, change this law. Um, so along with protests and activists, we definitely need people participating in our electoral process to get rid of candidates that stand silent uh, on these issues. We're not done with uh, tragic stories. In Mississippi, Jackson, Mississippi, cops ran over a man and family of victim wasn't notified. That's right. In Mississippi, a black man was fatally ran over by a cop and a cover-up ensued. Look at the video. Talking about the story of Dexter Wade, who we now know was killed less than a half hour after leaving his home back in March. But his family only found that out this month. Wade was struck and killed by a Jackson police car, apparently, as he tried to cross a highway nearby. And even though police knew exactly who they hit within days of that accident, officials say, his mother, Betterson Wade, would spend the next seven months, she would spend seven months looking for her son. It wasn't until 172 difficult days after Betterson last saw Wade that they came together again, this time at his unmarked grave in a state-run cemetery. Yeah, this is this is tragic beyond belief um, to hear that they knew within days who they hit and did not contact this family uh, makes me doubt uh, even a good progressive in the brother like Mayor Chokoy uh, Lumumba, who who said he uh, opted to call Dexter Wade's death a tragic and unfortunate incident, but also stated there was no malicious intent on the part of city authorities who buried Dexter Wade, who buried Wade without notifying his mother. Uh, according to WAPT Jackson News, uh, the closest the mayor came to offer some semblance of transparency was when he accounted for what led to the poor cities and police response to Wade's death. There was a lack of communication with the missing person division, the coroner's office, and accident investigation. Because of that, they were unable to find Dexter Wade's family within an expeditious period of time. And he was later buried once the coroner went to the Hines County Board of Supervisors in order to get permission to do so, the mayor said. My God, listen, this, this statement is absolutely disgusting from someone 
of Lumumba stature. Now, this is a this is I, I, in full context. Lumumba and I are close friends. I too am a mayor in a southern city, but before that, I was uh, uh, a consultant through Democracy for America, helping to get him elected. This is absolutely disgusting uh, behavior. Not just because it was a black man. Not just because. He was 15, 20 minutes away from home, not just because a couple of days they knew who he was, but because Lumumba chose to take this state and claim that he understands the intent of this officer. He does not know the intent of this officer. And even if he did, the fact that they didn't call this person or knock on this person's door and talk to their family is absolutely disgusting. And you have you cannot divorce this incident from the history of how many black men swung from trees in Mississippi not too long ago and at the hands of police officer. So this is absolutely disgusting, Yasmin. This behavior from anybody, Republican, Democrat, black, white, is unbelievable to me. Jackson is not a big enough city for you not to have time to knock on that woman's door and tell her what happened to her son as she spent 120 plus days looking for her son when he had been murdered. Or oh, I shouldn't say murder because it's a legal term. He had been killed by a police officer. Yeah. I mean, even giving the cop the benefit of the doubt and saying he didn't have a malicious intent, which as you pointed out, there's no way of knowing what this cop's intent was. But even let's assume that he had no malicious intent. Why did they not notify the mother? Why did they not notify the family? They knew that's like such basic decency to just do that much, right? And it's important also that you pointed out that this is not a bipartisan partisan issue, right? This is, it doesn't matter what party People are you fall whatever party lines you follow along. It doesn't matter who's running the city, who's running the state, the county, whatever. There is common decency and there, there's a way to go about doing things. And this mayor chose not to do that. This cop in the police department chose not to follow common decency. And it's really hard after you have ignored a mother's wishes, you've, you know, or failed to contact the mother after something like this happened, even if it was an accident, right? You fail to do the bare minimum. And it's really, really hard now in retrospect, after so much time has passed, to go back and try to pretend like you did the right thing and everybody was doing their best at, at, at their jobs when clearly they weren't. And I think it's also important to note that we as Black people, especially Southern Black people, I don't need to say Southern, Black people in this country in general, we don't have the we don't have the luxury of giving cops the benefit of the doubt, especially in incidents that happen in this manner. There was no forthcoming. Uh, if they knew in a couple of days what who this person was, then in a small town, small southern town, they absolutely knew his family was looking for him. They absolutely knew for seven months she was looking for him. And the fact that they didn't choose to share information, they didn't choose to uh, reach out to them. They didn't choose to post it on the news in the newspaper or on TV. That tells me something is wrong. And is also when I say wrong, I mean wrong against the community, but right in how America works as it pertains to black suffering, especially when it comes to police officers. Wade's, Wade's mother, uh, Betterson Wade, has recently retained the legal services of civil rights attorney Ben Crump, who called this terrible ordeal a living nightmare for any mother. This is a living nightmare for any community. The secrecy surrounding Dexter's death, the alleged uh, concealment of vital information, and the callous barrier in a pauper's field are not just oversights. They are a grave miscarriage of justice, Crump said. This is exactly what I meant, and, and, I, and a lot of the times I have pushback on what Crump is saying, but this is a moment where I have no pushback. This 
the context that we have to bury this in, no pun intended, is the context in which Mississippi will allow black people in Jackson, this very city, to have nasty, dirty water and also try to restrict their political right. Yet and still, they will try and kill them and bury them, bury them without reaching out to their parents who are 20 minutes away from this unmarked grave where they bury their son. Yasmin, what, what are your take? Yeah, I mean, this is such a great example, too, of the fact that there is never just one bad apple as far as bad cops go, right? This is so, as you said, they've buried it. They made an intentional decision. They said, we're going to do this. We're going to bury him in an unmarked grave over here where the mother can't find him. We're not going to tell the mother. All of this happened with approval or at least the knowledge of people so high up all the way up to the mayor's office, right? There's so many things that went wrong with this. There's so many people who are to blame for the way that this was handled. So even like all things considered, like maybe it really was an accident, maybe it wasn't. I'm going to say, I don't know what it was, but all things considered, this is wrong and they knew what they were doing and they should be punished for it. But the sad fact is that probably nothing's going to happen because all the way up to the mayor's office, they're still just making excuses. Indeed. Uh, and and Betterston, which is Dexter Wade's mother, she had a statement in response to the mayor's comment. And her statement was, you're going to tell me that you're just not, you're just going to get in touch with me by phone to tell me my son is dead. This is what she told NBC. What happened to a knock on the door to tell me my son is dead? Are you telling me that you all didn't tell me the whole time because you didn't have the correct phone number? I paid dearly for a mistake when you could have just stepped on my doorstep. Stepped on my doorstep. That is a powerful statement. This Southern mother asking for what people call Southern hospitality. She didn't even receive it in the terms of her son's death. Uh, we should go on in the note also from the Atlanta Black Star that no sobriety test was run on the call for the, the cop who killed Wade. He was also never cited for violating any traffic laws. Authorities did, however, run a, toxic, a toxicology test on Wade's body which revealed that he had PCP and methamphetamines in his system. The family said he also suffered from schizophrenia and bipolar disorder, but there's nothing to connect the crash to his mental or physio physiological state at the time he was hit. And again, that's from Atlanta Black Star. Listen, this idea that you need to know what's in his body. He wasn't driving a car. He was, he was, he, he, what, I don't even want to talk about what was in his system. The fact that the person that was driving was incited for the crimes that he committed, possible crimes he committed, or if he was uh, under the influence of anything, we will never know. We will never know because that what what should have happened didn't happen. And that, that in itself tells us that there was no proper investigation into the death of Dexter Wade. And yet again, the state of Mississippi have claim, has claimed the life of a black man with no repercussions, Jasmine. Yeah, exactly. And whenever we talk about systemic issues and governance and in policing, this is exactly what we're talking about. Just the fact that simple protocol, things that would have been done for most other people in this officer's position were not done, that he wasn't given this, you know, toxicology report, all these different things. There was no repercussions whatsoever. Just that on its own just shows that there is some systemic issues going on within the police department and all the way up to the mayor's office. They are not going, they're not planning on doing anything. The mayor has already released a statement. And a lot of times, whenever they release these statements, what they're saying is, I've done what I'm going to do. That's the extent of it. I'm not going to do anything else. It's done. Case closed. We're moving on. And that's exactly what this mayor has done. And this is what the police department is telling us that, you know what? It happened, it's done. That's a fact. 
Um, we're going to take a break. There's plenty more to come after this break. Y'all stick around. It's Yasmin and Mundell filling in for Dr. Richie. We're back. You all, it's Mundell again with uh, Yasmin filling in for Dr. Richie on Indisputable. I should let you all know that we at TYT understand and recognize that TYT members help make the show happen. Their support helps amplify progressive voices and let us deliver bold commentary daily. So thanks for being part of our mission to drive positive change. If you're not a member yet, now's a great time to join by clicking the join button on YouTube or go to tyt.com backslash join. Thank you so much again to our members. Uh, let's read a couple comments. You guys know that we over here break for comments and we stop and we thank you all for those. So let's start talking about the neighbors who gunned down this neighbor who gunned down his son. Uh, the stepson and the father, the stepfather and also himself got killed. Uh, Biden flavor Compop said, Lord, if guns were not so readily available, children and adults would be alive beyond flash anger moments. This is a fact. And I think this this point is what I was trying to get at. It is these moments that people would have just normally deal with, dealt with and let it end it there. But instead, we're at a point now where we have people that are blowing horns, like Yasmin said, in, in Texas, and we see couples jumping out together, husband and wife together, with guns shooting at cars. This has become normal in our in our current state. And I think we got to acknowledge that. We want to go down to uh, uh, YouTube at, at The Jack. Thank you so much for that. We appreciate that uh, contribution, brother. And they said uh, they buried him so no counter-toxicology could be performed. That is That's an interesting... That is an interesting take. And also, it is not unbelievable in the context of where we know black people find themselves and what's capable, uh, what cops and authorities are capable of in Mississippi and across this country, if we're being honest. Uh, staying with that same story, we heard Valerie Strauss say they lie so much. There's so that is so sad beyond imagination. It's beyond sad. We have to say that the way that the system is working, the police system and how we find ourselves in America, we need to say what 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 really is. And it is say that the police system in this country is not broken. It was designed to work this just just this way. If you look at how and when police became a part of American culture, it was after the end of slavery, before slavery, during slavery. There were no policing uh, departments in this country anywhere. Which which is to say that America didn't need to police white people when it was only white people that could roam free largely. It wasn't until black people were set free from the bounds and the horrors that is slavery that we came up in some states, southern states, when they came back into the union after uh, secession, that they made, they codified this idea of police that became and replaced the slave catcher, doing and acting in the same manner. So we need to say that because it's part of our truth. And if we don't talk about that history, then we find ourselves uh, left out and wondering how the hell this is our reality. And speaking of how the hell this is our reality, Reality. I wish a Karen would. You want to call the police on them for having a barbecue on a Sunday? You feel right. Back off. I'm going to tell them there's an African American man threatening my life. This girl right here, this lady right here, is hitting people. What is she doing? She's pro-Israel. Why are you deleting this? I'm throwing this. Why are you don't touch me. 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 Don't
I will be more than happy okay. to okay. pee on somebody okay. like you. Okay. It is okay to kill babies. My, my. So here's the problem, and, and this is a, a lot of the times in protests, especially when there are counter-protesters there, and I'm not uh, saying anything to defend Karen because I got a lot to say about her, but a lot of the times when we when we find ourselves in this space, uh, we hear people say things that are not nuanced. Uh, the gentleman recording the video said she's pro-Israel um, and, and she's saying that they're pro-Palestine. And what, what's missing in that is we're naming states. We're naming nation states. Israel's a nation state, Palestine is a nation state. We're forgetting that there are people, innocent people in both spaces that are the victim of governments. And I don't think if we took the time to sit and unpack this and talked about what's really going on, uh, then we could really say that either we're, that we're talking about the Hamas government or the Benjamin Netanyahu government. We're talking about the life that's lost for the people. Now, this situation happened in Brooklyn at a pro-Palestine protest. Users online said that, the, that this Karen is a theater actress in New York, and the original poster said cops are set to arrest her. Um, and I think this is this is where we find ourselves. Uh, like I said, I think this 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 person putting putting your hands on anybody is out of line. It should it should be no it should be you should not touch people without their permission. Period. Um, and I don't I don't regard I don't care how angry or upset you are about how someone feels about an issue. The moment you cross that line, you become more than a Karen. You become someone who has broken the law. And I think she, for, for that reason, she should be arrested. I think the situation with Israel and Palestine has gone to the point beyond where people can't even see that the main concern for anybody on any any side of this issue should be how you feel about the death of innocent people. Yasmin. Yeah, I mean, of course, she slapped a 15-year-old boy. She doesn't see him as a human, and she said that to him. She told him and everyone around him that she doesn't care if he dies. And, you know, there's a lot of feelings around what's going on between Israel and Palestine and Gaza. But what state are we in as a nation when just wanting less people to die is considered a controversial stance? You know, I read a lot about different conflicts around the world for my podcast and in my previous work. Whenever a conflict like this erupts, like this one did last month, the ideological justification is always presented to the public in an effort to either garner public support behind the government's actions or to divide the public so that they're too busy arguing amongst themselves to actually pay attention to what's going on. And spoiler alert, as I said in the previous story, the government is going to do whatever it wants to do, whether or not we're all in agreement over it. Nations like the United States and by proxy Israel never pursue military action unless there is an economic and or geopolitical advantage for doing so. The ideology is always secondary. It's public relations. It's crafting a narrative. And as a part of that narrative, you get sound bites and buzzwords, which is what I think you were alluding to. More often than not, those buzzwords are intended to either stop meaningful discussions before they can even start or to tell people how they're supposed to feel about something that they might not understand. 
And in this case, she's calling these protesters Hamas, telling them that they're either in the terrorist organization or aligned with them, essentially implicating them in the October 7th attacks, or at least that's how she sees them. We also see people who are asking for ceasefires being called anti-Semitic, which not only dilutes that word and its meaning and its impact, but it stops any conversation that could possibly happen. So while we're over here arguing over what the textbook definition of genocide is, people are dying. And that's what it comes down to. And I think that's that's a great point. Um, it's a sad space where we find ourselves as it pertains to the conflict and also the Karens that are exploiting uh, this roof in, in in the Middle East right now to push uh, racist agendas. And we see that on, on from the neo-Nazis here in this country as well. Get your ass out of here. If you got license, you saw it. I mean, I just want to fish, ma'am. Oh, no, no, hell, you can't fish. You, ain't, you don't know how to fish. You don't even wear the right kind of clothes. You got damn stupid shoes on anyway. Where'd you get them ugly britches? <laughs> Can I see that one more time, please? If you got license, you saw it. I mean, I just want to fish, ma'am. Oh, no, no, hell, you can't fish. You ain't, you don't know how to fish. You don't even wear the right kind of clothes. You got damn stupid shoes on anyway. Where'd you get them ugly britches? <laughs> Put up the picture for a mask. I, I know that was really rude, but she, what she did there. But it was flawlessly executed. I mean, the way it just rolled off her tongue. Listen, I'm not, I'm not saying I agree with rudeness here. But if I did, okay, um, we don't have much information about this, Karen. Uh, the narrative is uh, she did not think the person had a license uh, to fish in that area. And decided to engage uh, and also uh, decided to talk about his britches, right? And by the way, for those who are of a certain young age, that means pants. Okay, Sharon, I mean, I, I don't want to get into uh, a debate or what, what we call in the South, the joning contest with her. I think that's the right assessment, Doc. Um, Dr. Ritchie, I, um, you know, I love it to take on any Karen, no matter where they are, east, west, north, south, <laughs> another country. You've covered them, many countries, all yeah. continents. I don't mess too much with OG Karens, though, yeah. <laughs> because they're unpredictable. You understand? So you just kind of have to just, it'll pass. They don't have the energy to keep going and going. Let them say, they got to say, get out of their system and leave it alone. Just leave it yeah. alone. Yeah. yeah. I mean, she was really upset about those britches. Um, all right. I thought she said something else. <laughs> no, she said britches. <laughs> I don't know. He probably has a bunch of them, too. Right. Who knows? <laughs> all right. Let's move on to this riverboat brawl. I don't know if you all remember. Um, the riverboat brawl that happened back in uh, in in Alabama, Montgomery, Alabama. So we've moved to the point where now people are being charged and arrested. Two of the five defendants arrested in connection with the riverboat brawl in Montgomery, Alabama, in August, have pled guilty in court on October the twenty seventh. 
48-year-old Richard Roberts pled guilty to two uh, misdemeanor assault charges and will serve 32 days of a full-month suspended sentence. He will serve time on the weekend at a Perry County facility and perform 100 hours of community service for assaulting 16-year-old deckhand Daniel Warren and Harriet II Riverboat co-captain Damian Pickett. Roberts will have to serve his full sentence if he violates the terms of his plea, which he begins serving on November the 4th. Listen, before we carry on, uh, we should we should acknowledge that this person assaulted a minor, a minor, and his sentence was only four months suspended. He'll do 32 days and he'll have the luxury of doing them on the weekend, basically saying, we're not going to interrupt your income. We're going to allow you to live the same life that you're going to have the same luxuries that you've always had beyond this happen. And then the racist people that you hang out with will celebrate you for being a hero, a local hero for hitting or standing up to black people who are defending another black person. This is tragic because we know so many people in that very state. Montgomery is less than two hours away from Selma. And when I was doing organizing work in Selma, Alabama, there were young men, 17 year old young men who had been locked up uh, with, without bail. And when I say out without bail, it's not really without bail. They don't have the funds to make a $100 bail. So they've spent two years in jail waiting on trial for a crime that probably wouldn't have gotten them two years anyway. So this is disgusting that he gets the luxury of going home after touching a minor in this manner. Um, I'm I'm frustrated beyond belief uh, about this and that, that that sentence is so light. Yasmin? Yeah, that riverboat brawl, we all remember that one. You know, So we love to see justice happen when it happens. But as he pointed out, I don't know if this is enough. And enough would be defined as a punishment that actually would deter future crimes like this one from taking place. It would deter this man from committing an act like he did in the future. And it would deter others like him from also committing a similar act. And whenever we see these people get off so easily, it really doesn't do that. And as he pointed out, sometimes it has the opposite effect. Sometimes Sometimes people say, oh, look, I can do these things and get away with it. I might have to pay a small fine. I might have to, you know, have a little bit of inconvenience in my life as a result, but it'll be worth it. And not only that, but this guy went viral. You know, we all know his name. We're talking about him on shows like this right now. Sometimes when these incidents go viral, it does help in that, you know, the sometimes the county or the state, whoever will say, you know what, just book them with something to get, you know, all of America off of our backs just to show that we did something. But who's to say if this hadn't gone viral, if this wasn't recorded the way it was, who's to say that he would have gotten this much of a punishment in the first place? We don't know and we can't really speculate about that. But it is interesting to see how easily people get off with things, even though, as you pointed out, this is a minor, you know, this is a, it's a crime in most places and would be regardless of race, you know, even just that in and of itself should have been punished more severely than what we're seeing here. Yeah, we know that uh, doing doing harm to black minors does not carry the same weight. A cop killed uh, Tamir Rice, 12 year old playing in the park with a toy. Um, yeah. And then a few years later, got another job as a police officer in another state. So right. and that's the precedent the that's that. Yeah, it is. You're absolutely right. Let's talk about the second sentence. A judge also sentenced 21 year old Mary Todd to a to complete anger management classes after she pled guilty to harassment. According to WSA News, Todd was the first to enter a guilty plea. The third defendant that's been sentenced, 42-year-old Reggie Ray, inspired an array of memes and social media commentary after he grabbed a folding chair to defend himself against the mob. Here's some of those memes. Lift every chair. 
behind us swing that chair lift every chair and swing to white racist ears do ring with the sound around find out well y'all for, for those of you all that don't know that th these songs are remade in the harmony and the, and the melody uh, uh in the rhythm of of uh, the National Negro Anthem, Lift Every Voice and Sing. And people that don't know about that song, that song was not originally written as the National Negro Anthem. Johnson wrote that song in response to what were the top songs in America at that time. Uh, some of those songs were the N-word, Don't Have a Flag, uh, and some other songs that were bashing black people for not having a nation to call their own. This is when that song was written. That was the turn of the 20th century, right after slavery ended and the civil war was over. We saw, um, we saw a lot of songs being popular in American culture that were anti-black and this song was written to counter that. Um, now it's being used to say fight back. In, in a rare, in a rare change from, for GoFundMe, we see that Ray, who was charged with the chair, disorderly conduct and, uh, his arrest prompted a GoFundMe that has raised $296,675 to cover his court costs. His case was also continued until November. Usually the GoFund case, the GoFundMe's are for people like Kyle Rittenhouse, who raised a, a ungodly amount of money after he murdered two people. Um, uh, like I said, the case of Alan Todd, 24-year-old and 26-year-old Zachary Shipman, who were charged with third-degree assault, were also continued to November the 16th. So that's just around a week uh, from now or a couple weeks from now. And I, I'm willing to bet they, too, will be doing nothing, maybe parole, maybe community service. They will not spend significant time in this case when we saw, first of all, it wasn't just, if this was a, if the charges were against black people, they wouldn't have just been charged for the attack on the white person, like, like these people when they attacked him. They sat there for a long time blocking a city, uh, riverboat from being able to park. That, that would have been a part of the crime that black people would have been tacked on to. We don't see this. And I keep talking about black people because it's important that we remember what happened here and how, uh, the legacy of these spaces, Mississippi and now Alabama. Uh, are, are still playing out and it's not too far or white supremacy is still uh, soup de jour in these spaces, Jasmine. Yeah, and you, some, I think the reason why this all went so viral is obviously, you know, it, it was very meme worthy and that was really a lot of fun, but it's also an instance of black people fighting back, right? And I think in this country, black people, minorities, but specifically black people, especially black people have been so repressed by the government and by the cops and police forces and things like that, that, you know, over time, they just like stop fighting back as much, right? If the cops are there in your face, you're told to just comply, just cooperate, be cooperative. And sometimes even that doesn't go in your favor. 
sometimes even that goes very, very wrong. And at some point, people are going to be tired of just trying to be placated and trying to comply and trying to be cooperative. Because if you hold a man down long enough, he's going to fight back. And so I think that this whole moment was so indicative of that. And it was, it was like a celebration of that moment. And, you know, I'm not a part of the Black community, so I can't really speak from, from that perspective. But I can say from an outsider's perspective, it was good to see. Uh, I, I'm on the inside of that community, and you're damn right it was good to see. We're going to take a break right here, and we'll be back. More with Yasmin and Mundell filling in for Dr. Richie at Indisputable. It's uh, Mundell Robinson again with uh, filling in for Dr. Richie, and I have the wonderful Yasmin with me. Uh, just, uh, just like I said at the last break, at the end of the last break, it is our members. It is our members that make us this uh, as wonderful as we are. And this week is Member Appreciation Week. Uh, and Shop TYT is giving members free shipping on orders over $75. That's right. You don't pay anything shipping. You heard that right. Free shipping at Shop TYT for members only. Find the code tyt.com backslash notice. Again, that's tyt.com backslash notice. And YouTube channel members can find the code on YouTube community page. And I'll post it also be posted to Discord. So again, thank you all so much. Back to our comments over at TYT members, tyt.com. Over 9,000 said Mayo Mundell. I think he meant Mayor Mundell, but let's roll with Mayo Mundell. Uh, sounds good. Thanks for being here. Hope you and your family find security and justice soon. Yes, always great. Um, I watch more of your content, but my wife might get jealous and leave me. Uh, okay. <laughs> I don't know how to respond to that, but thank you. Over 9,000, get your stuff together. Um, as it pertains to justice and security, I appreciate that. I think you're relating to the fact that uh, I can't stay in one of my houses more than uh, two days because the clan is looking for me. I hear you. Thank you so much for that. And we are we are doing good and ready for this ish to be over, but we're dealing with it right now. Over on YouTube, uh, Gord Wilkes, that's a bad look. She needs to be arrested. That be, This behavior has gone way too far for, for too long. She doesn't care about humanity. That's very clear because of what she said. This is all too sad. It is absolutely all too sad. And he's referring to the Karen. Um, and we just, we just, when you tell people they're not human or they don't matter, or you're relating them to uh, uh, someone like the Hamas, that group, even though they're not, you're absolutely saying that their humanity does not matter. So you're, you're, you're spot on with that. And speaking of the lack of humanity, uh, we have an update on uh, revelations who killed Leonard, the cop who killed Leonard Cure. The Georgia Bureau of Investigation is investigating Sergeant Buck Aldrich, the Camden County Sheriff's Office deputy who killed the recently exonerated Leonard Cure, who served 16 years in prison for a crime he did not commit during a traffic stop on Interstate 95 near the Georgia-Florida state line on October the 16th. And before we get to a video clip about this, let me say Leonard went home to Florida to visit his mom. He was coming back from visiting his mother. After he did 16 years in prison, he was murdered at the hands of a cop. Here's the video uh, of this tragic event. Please be warned, this is a very graphic video. Sir, tickets in the state of Georgia are criminal offenses. I don't have a ticket in Georgia. You do now? Why? You passed me doing 100 miles an hour. And what? I'm not going Hands to behind your back. Yes, you're going to jail. Hands behind your back. Put your hands behind your back. Okay. 
yeah, bitch. Yeah, bitch. Shots fired! Shots fired, Camden! Stay down! Do not get up! Stay down! Stay down! Stay down! This is a, a tragic situation and, and it, it requires uh a certain amount of humanity to understand what's going on. The GBI is looking into another traffic stop where Sergeant Aldrich repeatedly used his taser on a suspect who was already on the ground in June 2022. Uh, the body cam footage also showing a canine being uh, sized on the, it should be sicked on uh, the suspect while he was on the ground. According to uh, news for Jackson, Aldrich chased two vehicles as they sped on the highway after trying to pull them over for going 63 miles per hour in a 70 zone. Pulled over before you kill somebody. Audrey could have been, uh, could be heard saying over his microphone, megaphone. The chase lasted for 16 minutes as speeds reached 120 miles per hour until the vehicles crashed. Listen to me. First of all, Police officers should not be chasing people uh, in in high speed chase because people are speeding. If you're chasing someone because they did something violent or they have the capacity to do violence or they're trying to get away from a crime uh, of crime that something violent happened in, that's one thing. But as you sit here and try and chase people for speeding, you just escalate a situation that doesn't need to be escalated. Uh, they said for going 63 miles per hour in a 70 mile per hour power zone. This officer chased him and said, slow down before you kill someone. This You have to look into his uh, his motives at that point because they're under the speed limit. They're going less than what the speed limit is, but still being chased by a police officer. He escalated that situation just like he did the one uh, where we just watched. Aldridge is seen on the video approaching the crash vehicles with this gun drawn as he yelled, show me your effing hands. Get on your effing hands. Or get your effing hands up now, get them up. As he opened the door, a man was seen lying on his back and falling out of the vehicle. The man appeared to be hurt or disoriented as Audrey put his gun away and instructed the man to get out. The man tried to speak to Audrey, but the deputy punched him in the head as he yelled, shut the F up. Audrey pulled the man out of the car, and as the man laid on the ground, another deputy approached. The deputy jail, hands behind your back, and it is as it appears as though the driver was trying to put his hands behind his back, but the deputies used their tasers on him. However, the police claim the police report claimed the driver continued to physically resist, pulling his hands away from up and trying to get back on his feet. This is what we hear so often. This, this resisting arresting is unbelievably disgusting. Yasmin, and we see police officers using it so many times as it pertains to uh, what they're going to use as a reason to escalate situations. Yeah, I mean, it, it's the fact that these cops have so much authority, not just the authority, but they have deadly force behind that authority, right? And a lot of people, myself included, have issues with authority and for, you know, succumbing to authority and things like that. Just because he told me to do something doesn't necessarily mean that I want to do it or that I think that I should. And in this guy's case, you know, he already served 16 years in prison for a crime that he did not commit. He clearly didn't want to go back. And I think that's very, very, very understandable. But then on top of that, 
he's going under the speed limit. Why was he being targeted? If a cop was behind me chasing me and I'm going under the speed limit, I would be very, very concerned. I would be threatened and I would not want to stop. I would probably call 911 from my car if that was happening to me on the road. That's an unusual thing to be happening. That was an unusual thing for the cop to be doing. He shouldn't have been doing that. And then overall, if your job is like to, to serve and protect, right? Was he actually making these streets any safer or did he just create a situation where there wasn't one and then escalate it to the point that a man died? Which yeah, and I think, and I think you, you, that is a that is a wonderful statement. And at that point, then that should be enough grounds to to charge police officer with murder or some type of something that re, that's responsible for this loss of this man's life. When we consider what uh, Mr. Cure Leonard has been through, sixteen years for something he didn't do, claiming he was innocent the entire time, watching the system place and use false evidence to convict him, and then to see him complying, uh, Brown. Also noted, we should we should we should acknowledge this. Brown also noted that Aldrich made similar mistakes when he pulled over 53-year-old Cure. So we saw the same mistakes he made in the first incident with the other people, the crash in this incident, where the person was actually using the officer used his taser on Cure despite him following the deputy's instructions. After that, Cure became non-compliant. And I know, I don't know Cure personally, but I know what was going through his mind at that moment for sure. I'm doing everything this officer told me to do, and he's still gonna try to kill me. So he, at, it was that point, it wasn't to that point that he become non-compliant. I'm doing what you said, you still tase me, and, I, and so I'm only doing only what I can do, and that is to protect myself, because I see you at this point, not as a, uh, an officer of the law or an authority figure, I see you as someone trying to kill me. Uh, Aldred is currently on administrative leave due to the shooting death, and shooting and death of Cure, and the deputy was fired before using excessive force. He was fired before for using excessive force. How are you a police officer? And this is according to First Coast News. Aldrich was fired from the Kingsland Police Department back in 2017 for violating department use of necessary and appropriate force and on and off duty conduct policies. The deputy worked for KPD for five years and received his first disciplinary action in February 2014 after using unnecessary force on an individual during the course of a traffic stop to take the person into custody based on the belief that probate on probable cause existed for a crime that was occurring. That was, of course, uh, because of we, we know this because of Atlanta Star covering Atlanta Black Star. Aldrich was ordered to attend mandatory training on communication skills, building and to be retrained and counseled on how to properly conduct a traffic stop. He was also ordered to get retrained on probable cause for resisting arrest. Aldrich was placed on administrative leave in April of 2017 um, for his alleged misconduct, alleged misconduct. What's alleged about this? We saw it. We saw it on the tape. This time we read about it and, and saw the ex, the incident from the before time. This person should not have been a police officer. If you're fired, if you're fired from stealing from a bank, no bank's going to hire you again. The idea that a police officer can be fired for using or misusing the, the trust that's in, uh, embedded in his, his badge and given to him and trusted with him and watching him get rehired again and commit crime 2014, 2017, 2023 is absolutely ridiculous. And the end result is just what it is right now. The, the complacency in state agencies to rehire these officers or keep them on the force will lead to the death of someone just as it has. Uh, Yasmin, your point. Yeah, I, I think yeah, I wish that I was just more surprised about this, right? I wish I was more surprised about the fact that he had been fired from his previous job as a cop 
or demonstrating similar behavior. And I wish I was more surprised that he was rehired somewhere else. You know, like we see this happen all over the place. It's textbook almost. Whenever you see an incident like this with some kind of cop who's acting in a way that he shouldn't be acting, and then he just gets re- fired and rehired. And you, you know, you wait for all the press to calm down. You wait for all the media to stop talking about it. And then you quietly rehire them, give them the job back, whatever. It's like what we were talking about in the previous story or one of the previous stories that you know the punishments for these actions have to be severe enough that they deter the same thing from happening again in the future. And we're never seeing that, right? These cops continue to act this way because they know on some level that they'll either get away with it or they won't have to pay a price that they normally would have to pay the price that anyone else would have to pay, I should say, if they had killed somebody this way on the street. So the cops know that they're protected and there are reasons for that protection. But I think at this point, we need to rethink some of those rules because obviously these reasons are being exploited. And instead, what we have are cops who are killing people and just getting away with it. Yeah. And I mean, if we go back to the, we go back to the history of qualified immunity on this protector you're talking about. The only reason for it is, is to prevent white cops from being tried and convicted, uh, for kidnapping and also abusing, uh, black people and killing them as, in, in, in some cases, as is the case in this time. We also need to re, re, uh, remind people what you said about the Alabama situation, where when people aren't tried or held accountable in proper manners, it doesn't stop bad behavior. And this seems to be the case here because the city manager who suspended, uh, uh, Aldrich suspended him on without pay for only three days and recommended a 12 month probationary period following an internal investigation. The exact actions that caused the investigation are unclear. And he was terminated four months later before eventually being hired by the Camden community, uh, a county sheriff's office. So we see the, the, his, his actions only got him three days without work. He was fired from a police department because of bad behavior. And then four months later, I mean, he's, he's, he's at another police department. There is no downtime for bad police officers when you act with this much force, uh, unnecessary force, when you escalate situations, when you put the uh, the public safety at harm or you take away the trust in public safety in this manner. It does not matter. You'll get a job somewhere else is what his resume can say and has shown us. And I think and, and, and until we're ready to be serious about this and address what policing is and acknowledge that policing in this country is not working. Policing in this country is not working. We do not have nowhere near the population of China, yet and still we over, we have more, we, we represent a larger prison population of the net, the world's prison population. We over, we are over policing minority communities. We're over incarcerating people. We need to rethink what it means to police American citizens. And we can't say that it's successful when we see so many black people are dying. Uh, people in general, but black people specifically, black men, even more specifically, are dying at the hands of police officer. And in this case, someone who had already gave 17 years of their lives, 16 years of their lives that the state did not owe, uh, that they did not owe the state for a crime that they did not commit. And now, we are at this point. Yasmin, I would love to hear your response real quick before we go to break. Yeah, I, th- I think that there's a much bigger conversation that can be had. And we don't have time to have it right now. But there is a much bigger conversation around what is the point? What is the actual purpose of having these police departments? What is the point of giving them more money and giving them bigger weapons and bigger so-called protections against the citizens, right? That's a whole other thing. What is the what is the reason that they're giving the public and what is the actual reason? That's what we need to think about. That's it. We'll be that's that's a perfect what are the reason they're giving the public. We're gonna take a break. We're back on the other side of the break with more information. Yasmin and Mundell filling in for Dr. Richie on indisputable. 
We're back uh, with Yasmin and Mundell filling in for Dr. Richie at Indisputable. Listen, y'all, we need to end citizens, Citizen United. Uh, Equal Citizens, a nonpartisan organization founded by Harvard Law Professor Lawrence Lessig, is currently running a contest with a chance to win $50,000. The purpose of the contest is to raise awareness on Citizen United and the corrupted influence of money in politics. For more information, please go to councilsuperpacks.com to learn more. And the last day to enter is November the 7th. So if you like making videos, if you're on TikTok, Twitter, or any platform and you make videos, this is a wonderful way to uh, make $50,000 speaking against money and politics. As we know, most of our problems are related to those two things. So please check out that website and figure out how to figure it out. CancelSuperPacks.com. Let's do some viewer comments over at TYT members, TYT.com. Uh, we got Grill Hot Dog. Biden should use an executive order saying if a police officer is fired for certain offenses, they can't be a police officer on the street again behind the desk only. I don't think they should be behind the desk only. If, if certain offenses get you fired, they should be grounds enough to never let you work as a police officer again. I know that police officers are ran usually by uh, local authorities and who they hire is usually in that. But I think the fact that they can do something about withholding federal money for anybody who hires a, a police officer that has been convicted of, say, a racially inspired crime or, or an offense. So I think that is a that is something that people should definitely be talking about and looking into, because what makes it what's the difference if federal funds are going to police departments or if you're giving them equipment from our military surplus equipment from our military to police departments. And these people are hiring people from other departments that have shown the capacity to act anti-American. And by anti-American, I mean killing people. Uh, Chef Rockstar over at YouTube. Thank you so much for that uh, contribution. When you hear a cop yelling, stop resisting, be prepared for the situation to escalate tenfold. It is absolutely like code word. When we hear police officers talking about stop resisting, the escalation is on point. That is a, that is a great comment and you're spot on with that. Uh, Snack Panther, uh, grifted one indisputable with Dr. Uh, Richie membership. Thank you so much for that. You actually did two of those. We appreciate those uh, gifts. And you all keep on remembering that if you're not a member, you should subscribe immediately. Immediately is a word that I just created. You should use it sometimes. <laughs> Let's get marvelous with this, y'all. Uh, there's something unmarvelous about Marvel right now. We just found out that Marvel tried to demote uh, Masala Ali in his own movie, two-time uh, Oscar winner, Masala Ali, Masala Ali, Ali, I'm sorry. Mahershala. Thank you. Say it for me. Say it again. Mahershala Ali. What she said, <laughs> Mahershala Ali, uh, who is set to star as the uh, title character in Blade Reboot, was nearly demoted to a supporting character in his own film. A, a two-time Oscar winner, y'all, was about to be demoted. Here's further details. Uh, Ali signed on for an uh, epon uh, eponymous role of a vampire. Things looking promising for a 2023 release date, but that project has gone through at least five different writers, two directors, and one shutdown six weeks before the production. Six weeks. One person familiar with the script uh, premonitions 
says the story at one point morphed into a narrative led by women and filled with life lessons. Blade was re relegated to the fourth lead, a bizarre idea considering the studio had two-time Oscar winner Ali on board. As I said, listen, two-time Oscars, if you win Oscars twice in Hollywood, you should be able to write. You usually can write your path to do whatever you want to. Uh, Mr. Ali, I'm sorry for butchering your names. Not into movies like that. I like books. Sorry. But um, yeah, Yasmin, what do you what do you think about this idea that even Marvel is willing to, you know, ban someone with two or, or demote someone with two two Oscars just because uh, they had some kind of, a, you know, some problems with the script that was being presented? Yeah, you know, Marvel is Disney and Disney has become highly problematic on both sides of the aisle. Like even if you want to look at it politically, like people on the right have issues with Dis with Disney and Marvel. And people on the left do as well. And I was big into Marvel. I was talking to you guys during the break. And I was said, you know, after Endgame, I had to stop because they were just doing too much, right? And by doing too much, they're watering down like the whole the whole um, Marvel universe, right? And now you have Blade, who is actually like the first Black superhero, even though a lot of people like to ascribe that to Black Panther. But... Um, the fact that they're bringing Blade back from the 90s is a big deal. And a lot of people are very excited about it. The fact that they got Mahershala Ali to play him is incredible because he is incredible. If you've seen him in anything, he really is a great actor. And the fact that Disney still can't give him the respect that he deserves or the character the respect that it deserves is really, really sad. But I'm like, I'm, I don't know. I'm not surprised. Yeah, you know, I, I think... Uh... I think this is this is par for the course. I don't support. I mean, I'm, I'm not a big fan of any any billion billion dollar industry, and I think uh, this is just absolute disgust. It also shows, you know, why black people keep saying the Oscars are so white. Doesn't even matter if a black person win an Oscar, doesn't carry the same weight. No one, no yeah. Disney movie would have demoted uh, Meryl Streep, and that is a fact. <laughs> Amid reports that Ali was uh, ready to exit over script issues, Feech went back to the drawing board and hired Michael Green, the Oscar-nominated writer of Logan, to start anew. Speculations around town is that the studio is looking to make the film now slated for 2025 on a budget of less than $100 million, a deviation from Marvel's big spending strategy. How is it that $100 million uh, is, 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 is their strategy? You have that much money that you can spend $100 million on a movie is unbelievable to me, especially when these movies are usually made right at, right in front or in close proximity to people starving. Uh, meanwhile, at a retreat in Palm Springs, Marvel leadership reportedly considered swapping Kong, played by Jonathan Majors, out for arguably Marvel's, Marvel Comics' greatest villain, Dr. Doom. According to Variety, Doom is one of the many backup plans for Marvel presidents, Kevin and his team considered uh, earlier this year during the annual retreat this September. The reason for questioning Kong and the need for a backup plan goes deeper than poor box office performance and lacks lux to movies. MCU, that's Marvel Comic University, Kong is currently being played by Jonathan Majors, an actor whose star was once uh, on the rise. I would say it's still on the rise, but who has been accused of assault and sexual misconduct by a number of different women, including criminal charges filed against him. Major set to appear in court in late November, which could make Marvel's decision on whether or not to move forward uh, with the actor more straightforward. But it remains to be seen whether or not the Disney-owned studio will continue to work with the actor who uh, who is in part of so much 
public controversy, no matter the verdict. Here's a tragic situation about the uh, John, Jonathan Major situation. This, this, and I, I'm not uh, a fortune teller or I can't tell you the, the future, but what we're seeing is this is actually a case where uh, the person who who said she was assaulted actually came back and and and, and contradicted that her incidents, her movements that night after she said that and where she was and how she was reaching out actually contradict this story. This is the problem. And this is also the reason why we need to make it more easier for women to come forward about uh, what's happening to them as it pertains to intimate relationships, because we can then feel comfortable adjusting and also having conversations about this is another one of these sticky situations where it's hard to have a conversation about what's truly going on. And I think part of that is because What's at stake now is uh, what the last sentence of that statement from Polygon was, which is they don't know if this is going to work with majors, whether or not if he's guilty or not. That is to say that you can taint yourself for being nothing or doing nothing. Even if you're not guilty, you can you still lose all of your livelihood, which may be the case for uh, for for um, Jonathan Majors in this incident. Uh, Yasmin. Yeah, uh, I think about that a lot, actually. And and I, for the record, haven't really been following the Jonathan Major story specifically. So I, I don't really have an opinion as far as whether or not he's innocent. But uh, it's true. All it takes really is someone to make an accusation. And then whether or not that's true, uh, the image is already planted in someone's mind, right? And then that is certainly in the world of Hollywood and social media, that kind of docks your social currency. Somebody could say something, you can come out and defend yourself, but at that point, you're already fighting an uphill battle, right? So that can happen. That seems to be what Jonathan Majors is dealing with right now. And whether or not he is innocent or guilty, I guess maybe we'll find out and maybe we won't. But either way, his career is is taking a hit for it. Um, I also have a lot of thoughts on Marvel Studios and Disney and the way that capitalism, I think, kind of infringes and impedes on artistic uh, creativity and expression and things like that. And on movies right now out of Marvel, what we're seeing is a lot of very formulaic and predictable movies coming out of there. Uh, a lot of them shot in front of green screens. A lot of them shot, as you mentioned, in places where there are suffering people not far. Um, shout out to the Mulan movie that just came out. Um, so there, there's a lot of issues with it, right? And it's all just such a money grab and a cash grab. And they're trying to do too much. They're trying to appeal to certain groups. They're trying to appease other groups, right? They're trying to play this balancing act. And it all just comes across as disingenuine. It all comes across as lazy. And we all know why they're doing it. They just want money. They're capitalizing on nostalgia and et cetera. And I can go on about this, but I won't. I'll stop there. Yeah, I think you're I think you're spot on about, uh, you know, there's no ties or no, no, no care for what's going on in these communities that they're portraying uh, is absolutely disgusting. Then it also lacks uh, cultural cultural relevance. This is my complaint about the Black Panther. Uh, it was missing so much uh, as it pertains to the Ameri African-American experience. If you notice, the only African-American two African-Americans in the in the uh movie that were were uh, that was Black Panther was uh the Black Panther uh not Black Panther the villain and then his girlfriend and the villain killed his girlfriend and then the only other representation was the Black Panther's mother or I should say T'Challa's is it T'Challa? I don't know the character yeah yeah not T'Challa <laughs> who was the villain uh uh Killmonger. Michael B. Jordan Michael B. Jordan yeah Killmonger, Killmonger. Mm -hmm. yeah Killmonger was the Killmonger was the problem and so it had this 
crazy looking about at American black people as that they needed to be saved even by Africans from the continent because they are not capable of love, which is what they showed in Killmonger. And if you gave them the opportunity to have something as powerful and beautiful as vibranium, they're just going to use it for harm. So I, I, that movie was absolutely problematic. And it was, it was Killmonger's father who was of, uh, uh, African descent, not African American descent. That was lovable. His mother wasn't even talked about, and when she was, it was about abandonment. So it was it was a pretty horrible experience to be Black American sitting in in Black Panther watching that movie, even though it was an all Black cast. Moving on, we see um we see the recasting of uh, majors as an option. We also know that it happened before when um they replaced Terrence Howard and Iron Man two with Don Cheadle. All of this is still unmarvelous, and it's so. Uh, part for the course when you talk about capitalists. Let's take a break and we'll be right back. We're back uh, with Yasmin and Mundell. This time we will not butcher anyone's name, hopefully. Uh, let's start out with some some viewer comments over on YouTube. We see, uh, we have Tanya uh, Latimart. I just butchered your name, I'm certain I did. Jonathan Majors is with Megan Good now. I hope that they work out. Me too. I, 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 enjoy, I enjoy love, especially Black love. So let's do it. I love it. Good luck with that relationship. I also don't care if they work out because they got so much money and they're not sharing it with poor people in their community. So it don't really matter to me. Uh, and also still on YouTube, Son of What said... It was mostly an African-American, uh, uh, African movie that takes place in Africa, even though much of it was filmed in the state of Georgia. Yeah, the state of state of Georgia in the state inside of the state of Georgia at the state of Tyler Perry. <laughs> so that's the uh, studio that is Tyler Perry. And then Kip Doctor said, uh, right, Mayor. <laughs> and don't forget white the white savior that was inserted at the end of the movie. That is absolutely true. Wakanda was saved by a white CIA agent. Trying to be destroyed by a black American, but thank God for the white CIA agent that came in and saved a country in Africa. The, the slap in the face of all the African leaders in the 60s that were pro-black, trying to build a connection between black Africans and black African Americans, i.e. Patrice Lumumba and others that were killed by the CIA. Didn't he did a wonderful job in one movie to erase all that history and make them remember that CIA is here to save black Africans. Let's get into this next story, because if that wasn't booty enough for you, I bet you this one is. Cops are weirdly preoccupied by a booty truck in DeSoto County. DeSoto County uh, Sheriff's Office in Florida shared a very serious PSA on Tuesday, warning residents to not get duped by a truck emblazoned with booty patrol decal that mimics a U.S. Custom and Border Protection vehicle. The agency alleged that the truck is equipped with red and blue lights and claimed its owner was attempted to impersonate law enforcement. Here's the statement from the DeSoto uh, County Sheriff's Office. The DeSoto County Sheriff's Office is reaching out to raise awareness about a vehicle equipped with red and blue lights that has been impersonating law enforcement. And it's not just happening here in DeSoto County, but in several other counties across Florida as well. The vehicle is a white Chevy Silverado with green decals. If you or anyone you know have been pulled over by a suspicious vehicle or has any information related to these, these incidents, please do not hesitate to reach out to the DeSoto County Sheriff's Office Criminal Investigation Division at 863-993-4700. Your corporation is crucial in helping us address this issue, ensuring that the safety of our community. Listen, I'll tell you right now why it is, why it's, it's crucial. You reaching out to them is crucial because this truck didn't try to pull anybody over. Not at all. This is the sheriff 
overreacting. They're being upset because they think this truck is a mockery of them. The truck is owned by a teenager, an 18-year-old claiming to be the owner. His name is Gabriel Lubiano. He shot back in the comment section of this post on the sheriff's office claiming that the allegations are false. Luvano said he only activates the vehicle lights at the truck shows on private property and that he has never tried to pull anyone over. For example, he takes the truck to truck shows where he says lots of attendees get a kick out of the look. In a Tuesday update, the Soto authorities said they pulled the booty patrol over on Sunday and issued a driver accept citation for having pro prohibited, pro pro <laughs> prohibited, Prohibited, prohibited red and blue lights. Today is not my day, y'all. It's Friday somewhere, I bet you. Um, so listen, let's let's let me stop for a second because I want to talk about this. <clears throat> this idea that you can't have certain lights on your vehicle, people outside of the South might not know this. Us Southerners do funny things to our vehicles, adding lights. Jacking up the front, lowering your back so the lights might shine up in the sky direct, rather than directly in front of you. Putting long or tall hitches on our trucks, putting all types of floodlights all over the truck. This is something we do to our trucks and our Jeeps throughout the South. This this child, this teenager, is not trying to impersonate a cop. He's being a teenager. Booty patrol is not going to pull over anybody and say, we're out here patrolling for illegal booty. That's not what the case is. That's not the purpose of this truck. This is just a Southern thing. And I I feel like these officers are upset and the way they try to make it sound like it, it was more serious than it was. They were saying that this truck has been spotted throughout counties. Well, it's been, it's been spotted in other counties because it takes the truck to car shows throughout Florida. This is a this is a this is a nothing burger. And this is also why sometimes police officers need to be checked. Let me talk about the serious nature of this. Them using a PSA, a serious PSA about the booty patrol truck. Is absolutely disgusting, and it also may turn off people's uh, taste and time to look at real PSAs when they're sent out. So these are officers doing something that could jeopardize people's safety over a child having fun with the vehicle that's theirs. It is ridiculous. They have no account of this truck trying to pull anybody over, and they know that. This is why they're looking for someone to follow it up. It's ridiculous. Uh, Yasmin? Yeah, that's so funny how you mentioned about what goes on here in the South, because I'm from Houston, I'm from Slab City, you know, and during the break, I was like, what, why are they mad? Like, I didn't get it because maybe that's why, because I'm from Houston. I'm like, that seems like just some normal thing that you would just see on the freeway any day. But it is funny. Uh, the cops seem a little insecure in their, their over, over PSAing of all of this. Like, it's not an issue, right? The kid said he wasn't trying to pull over anybody it obviously says booty patrol on the side of the truck you know you're right it's like a big nothing burger but it's also like don't these cops have anything better to do than to worry about this child with the truck you know he's not technically doing anything illegal and you know but i was watching hocus pocus last week because like obviously and there was that scene where the the guy dressed up as a cop for for halloween and i was like isn't that illegal but you know but he actually like had like salem on his thing you know so that was legit but I'm a little off topic, but you know, it's the end of the show. Listen, being off topic seems to be the best way to be uh, when we're talking about booty patrol. I mean, because why are we talking about booty patrol? How, like, yeah, like what is the topic? What are we even supposed to be talking about? So. <laughs> exactly. Listen, Yasmin, uh, you want to tell people where they can find you? Yeah, uh, you can find me. My podcast is called Modern Context, and you can get it wherever you get podcasts. It's also on YouTube and on YouTube on the Rebel HQ channel. You can find all my daily videos there.
Awesome sauce. Thank you so much for joining. Again, I'm Mundell Robinson, mayor of Enfield, North Carolina, and founder of Black Male Voter Project. You can find me at Monday Robinson on any social media platform. Thank you all for tuning in. Again, we filled in for indis uh, Indisputable for Dr. Richie. Peace and have a wonderful day.